We have been in a little sermon series right now about the new covenant people of God. And specifically, we've been talking about what those new covenant people of God look like. So if you are in Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, if you've bowed the knee, if you've repented of your sin, if you've asked him to be Lord of your life, which I'm telling you right now, he's already Lord of your life. But if you've bowed the knee to him, then you are a new covenant person if you believe in Jesus. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, then you'll be saved. If that's you, you're a new covenant person. You're in the new covenant. As a new covenant person, the Lord has given us an identity in Christ and who we are and has implications for our lives. Uh, for example, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they come out and exude out of us because we are new covenant people given God's Spirit. And so we've been in this little series talking about what does it mean to be that new covenant people and how does that affect our lives. So we've been talking specifically last week and now this week about mission. Then we're going to do our critical questions class for the two weeks after that. And then we're going to start a new series on being a people of hope. And so it's going to be, we're going to be talking really throughout the whole year of the implications of being the new covenant people of God, which is very exciting. Today, we're going to look at, again, being a people of mission. This is important because God is missional. The Lord has plans. He is on the move. He is doing those plans. He is not thwarted by viruses around the world. He is not thwarted by politicians. He is not thwarted by economic challenges. He is not thwarted by sin. The Lord is not thwarted. He is not changed. He is moving forward steadily because he is ruling and reigning, and he's over all things. And so knowing what his mission is and what he's about affects us because God has called us to be a people of mission, to be walking with him, and that's really important. Um, that's also something different than we hear oftentimes because it's easy to boil Christianity down to just being blessed. And so God loves you and wants to bless you, and that's true in the Bible, but really God is about his mission. He's about Jesus being glorified. He's about everyone on earth knowing who he is. What did Jesus tell us? Go, therefore, make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've, I've taught you. So that obedience factor is really important to God. But we don't hear that a lot, do we, sometimes? And so God has a real clear plan that Jesus told us in the Great Commission and a clear mission for his people, and it's important that we are part of that because we will not know God's blessing if we're trying to walk outside of what he's doing. It doesn't work. Let's read together in Matthew 7 what Jesus says. Here's what he says. You have it on the top of your page there, or you can open your Bible to it. Matthew 7, 24 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's some on the back table back there, and there's pens going around if you don't have a pen. Suzanne, you're a blessing to us. Thank you. Amen. See, David said today, we're not organized. So what he means is me and David are not organized. <laughs> Suzanne is very organized and helps us immensely, and we drive her crazy because we're like, hey, you know what we should do? You know, and then that's, those are, those are some interesting words there. Hey, you know what we should do? Nacho bingo night. <laughs> you know? Okay, moving on. Matthew 7, here's what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus' words, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, 
and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Praise the Lord for his word. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been to the beach before? Okay, how many of you played in a sandbox? Everybody has some experience with sand, right? Who of us would build a house on sand? It would be foolish, wouldn't it? Now, sometimes when we read this, we think that Jesus is making a very simple comparison of somebody who is building on rock versus somebody who's an idiot who's building on sand. And we tend to think of, well, the sand obviously just moves and it falls away. But you have to remember the context of where Jesus is. Where is he right now? He's in the desert in Palestine. And in the desert, in that area of the world, there's only really one month of real rain time. Sometimes two or three, depending. But that rain comes, and it comes very strong for a very short amount of time. Most of the time, it's very dry. And what happens is the sun tends to bake the sand into a rock-like substance. And a foolish builder will go like this and go, it's rock. And not go past the surface of the of the area there to actually go beneath the sand that's already hardened and appears like rock to find the real rock beneath. So Jesus is not just saying, don't be dumb. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there is a surface kind of religion. There's a surface kind of way of living. There's a surfacey way of trying to just do things, and God does not bless that. And you have to dig down deep into the bedrock of who God is and what he's doing, and build your foundation on him because he is stable. That's what Jesus is saying for those who have ears to hear it. It's a different message, isn't it? And so getting down to that rock is important. I have these little fill-in things. I love doing these notes with you. Um, one of the things I really like about it, just from my own vantage point, is if I miss one of these, I can see a couple of people like, uh, uh, what, no, one? Yeah, and when I, when I get to them, everybody, whoop, and it's really fun. Okay, here's your fill-ins, you ready? Jesus says that we should build our lives upon, what does he say in the teaching? These words of mine. Build your lives upon his word. And what else does he say? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does that, obedience. The word and obedience is what we build our lives upon. We should build our lives upon his word and obedience. Now, here's the great truth. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to obey and follow God. He helps us. We fail. Maybe you failed in the car this morning on the way to the church meeting. Maybe his mercy is greater. His mercy, we trust God. We trust him. We build our lives upon him and the foundation of what he's done. And ready for this? His obedience. That's what David was talking about today while he was doing communion. Jesus was obedient to go to the cross for us. And it's based on his obedience and his righteousness that we stand now as new creations in Christ, obedient before God, not because of what we've done that any man would boast, but because of his righteousness that's given to us. Isn't that wonderful? So even when we fail, we come back to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I turn away. I want to do what you say. I'm building my life upon your word. But your word is that you have spoken over me, that I belong to you, and I'm a new creation, and I walk in you, and I'm going to live that out the best that I can. And there's, there's mercy and there's grace in that. And there's an expectation, too, that we won't sin. Why am I saying that? Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. 
So temptation comes, and a fruit of the Spirit is self-control to say, I'm on my way to church. I'm not going to cut that guy off. I'm not going to say those cuss words. I'm not going to yell at my children. I, you know, But also, God helps us when we fail. Isn't that good news? The Lord's good to us. That's a whole other teaching. Jesus says that we should build our lives upon his word and obedience. Let's look at an example of that from the Old Testament so we can understand what to do. Now, we're going to read a good bit of Bible to help us get an idea of what's going on here. Remember, we're talking about the new covenant people of God being a people of mission. That's what we're talking about. And so to get to that, one of the, the ways that I'm looking at that is not just to say, what is the mission of God? Are we doing it? Instead to say, are we building our lives upon the foundation of Christ and what he's doing and what he said in obedience to him, because then we'll be on mission with him. If we've built our lives on something else, we won't. And we're going to see in the Old Testament that there were people who saw God's power demonstrated. Some of them followed, some of them didn't. Some of them built their lives on things that were sand. Some of them built their lives on the word of God. Let's turn together, please, if you will, to Numbers 13. <clears throat> Numbers 13. When I was in college, while you're turning to that, when I was in college, I lived uh, my first year in the dorms, and it was not an awesome experience. And um, I, had a, I had a great roommate who was a friend of mine. He was wonderful, and we were just very different. So it was, we were okay, but it was just a weird experience. So it wasn't bad. It was just weird. Anyway, um, my sophomore year, I moved into the upper class apartments. I got some kind of waiver somehow. I don't know how I did that. And my sophomore year, I moved into the junior and senior apartments. And I had a little group of friends, and we were together. And so there were five of us in one apartment. And I, there were two rooms in that apartment. One had two beds in it. And so me and my friend Tim were in that room. And the other three guys were in the other room. And I don't know what they did in that room, because, because Tim and I were in our room. And then we shared like the common area together. We were all friends, great guys to this day, wonderful. One day, I came into the apartment. And it was a Saturday morning, and I had something I was doing, came in. And there was just stuff everywhere, just everywhere. Now think of any sophomore, junior, college, boys, living conditions. There you go. So it smelled weird. It looked weird. Dishes everywhere, which were my dishes that I owned, by the way. <laughs> you know, it was, it was just the food everywhere. I think every single dish in the entire apartment was used and was just sort of stacked everywhere. And I was like, guys, we cannot live like this. And so I just started cleaning, and I'm doing all the dishes and stuff, and I'm, I'm working on things and cleaning it up. And there was a, we had a walkout, uh, we were on the first level, and we had a walkout like patio door thing that just went right out onto the patio. And so I'm cleaning that, the window was just filthy, and it rained, and so all this mud had splashed up, and it was just awful. It, it just looked terrible, everything was terrible. So I'm cleaning all this, and one of my roommates walks in, and he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm cleaning for you, man. Come on, help me out. And he goes, what, why, are you, why are you doing that? I said, because we can't live like this. This is horrible. It smells awful in here. He goes, yeah, but we're only going to be in here a couple more months. <laughs> I was like, well, I can't even find a clean dish. He's like, I get that, but why are you cleaning the window? Why bother vacuuming? The mud's going to splash again. Who cares? And I said, listen, man, I said, we're paying a lot of money for this, and this belongs to our school. We're part of that school. We need to 
keep this nice for the people that will live here next. And he's like, who cares? And I realized in that moment, there's a very big difference between an owner and a renter. And he was very content to pay this deposit for them to clean it after it was totally trashed because he didn't want to have to put the time into it. Whereas I'm out there scraping mud off the window because it was in me. This, it belongs to, we're part of this school. It's their, this is their property. It's our property. We're part of this. It was not in his mind at all. Great guy, wonderful guy, friend of mine still to this day, different, different way of looking at things. And we can all relate to that, can't we? From different times in life, and you can think about how people just use things like a commodity, a thing to be used up, and it's just trash, and it doesn't matter. We tend to view God's mission that way. You're either an owner in the mission. It's part of you. You are doing something with God because it's about his glory. It's more important than you. It's bigger than you. It's something you're a part of. You can't stop. It's just everything in you points toward what he wants to do. Or we can look at his mission like we're renters. We'll be here for a short time, then I'll die, and I'll get blessed, and it's fine. As long as I get my harp. Whatever. And there's different ways of looking at that. I want you to keep that little story in mind as we come to this passage. We're going to read for a little bit. Looking at the people of God. For 400 years, they were in slavery in Egypt. 400 years. They're literally being slaughtered. They've cried out to God for deliverance. The Lord rose up a Moses. He came with power. God demonstrated his strong right arm, the scripture says, in the plagues against Egypt. He's taken the people away from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've eaten manna. They've won victories in battle. They've eaten quail. They've done all kind of stuff. They've heard God's law spoken from a mountain filled with fire. I mean, incredible. Everything about their experience is incredible. And now they're coming into the point where they need to actually take the land. And what's happening here in Numbers chapter 13 is Moses has sent spies into the promised land. When I say promised land, I mean God told their forefathers, specifically Abraham, that they would receive this land. So they're going to go into it. The problem is there's other people there. And these other people are wicked people and have done evil things. And God is going to use his people to bring a judgment on them. As we're going to see, God is also giving them opportunities for repentance. And they do not do that. But, well, that's another sermon. So they are coming into the promised land. They have to take the promised land. It's going to be difficult. And so Moses sends spies into the promised land. Check it out for us. Come back. Encourage the people. We're going to go in and do it. That's the idea. The spies go, and it doesn't turn out the way they think. So let's read together Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. Here's the spies coming back. Numbers 13. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned, these are the spies, from spying the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness at Paran at Kadesh. And they brought word back to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Now, as an aside... What have the people of Israel been eating? Manna, quail. Pretty much exclusively. Really exclusively. Water. That's what they get. And now, they're receiving from the spies fruit, milk, and honey. Could you imagine that you have been 
camping, God forbid, <laughs> for a long time, a year, two years, three years, and somebody shows up with Papa John's pizza, right? And says, okay, somebody shows up with something undeliverable. <laughs> and, this and, it's, it's, wow. and it's a farmer's market. And just, hey, check it out. That's exciting, isn't it? Okay, that's what you should be feeling. But then, here's what the people say, verse 28. However, the people who dwell in its land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the, des the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. They dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. So notice the people are panicking a little bit. Wow, fruit. And then, what? All these big people? Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. The men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we had gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are a great height. And then we saw even the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. In other words, what are they saying? We're, we're bugs to them. We're bugs to these. They're going to kill us. That's what they're saying. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would we that we died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to one another, Let us choose a leader, and we'll go back to Egypt. Now, what was happening in Egypt when they cried out to God? A genocide of their children. That's what was happening. A genocide of the baby boys. And they cried out to God, save us. And now they're saying, oh, it would be better if we just went back. What? Awful. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their, their clothes and they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all of the people of Israel. Now God shows up. Uh-oh. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Wow. But Moses, well, we'll go on in a minute. Okay. 
What happens in the story? Spies go in. It's a good land. Come out. Some of the spies say, we can't fight these people. They're too strong for us. There's no way we can do it. The people rebel against God. Their unbelief is rebellion against God. Now, what have they witnessed in their lifetime? In their lifetime, they've witnessed the plagues of Egypt. They've witnessed a pillar of cloud that leads them by day and a pillar of fire that's God's presence that leads them by night. They witnessed the golden calf and God's judgment coming down on that. They've witnessed the giving of the law. They've witnessed God speaking thunderous to them that terrified them so much that they asked Moses to never again let God actually speak to them directly. They witnessed Moses go up and receive the law so that he came down in the power of the Holy Spirit with his face glowing in front of the people, and they were so terrified they had to put a veil around him. That's incredible. They have witnessed God give manna from heaven to feed them. They've witnessed their shoes not wearing out. They've witnessed victory in battle by Moses holding his arms up for a long time. They've witnessed God do miracle after miracle after miracle after provision, after grace, after mercy, after judgment. They've witnessed how big he is, how strong he is, how scary he is, and how kind he is, and how loving he is, how faithful he is. They've witnessed all those things. They've heard the whole story from Moses now about the whole covenantal account of their own families that they didn't even remember because they were in slavery so long. They've been given an identity. They've been given a law. They've been given a peoplehood that they were once slaves and now they're a nation of God's own people and they come to the first big challenge and they say it would be better if we just died back in Egypt. Wow. Wow. It's not that far from us. It's not that far from us driving down the highway saying, God, if you'll just show me an angel today, I can stick it out. It's not that far. And here's Caleb and Joshua saying, please, brothers, it's a good land. If God's with us, God, we've seen what he did. Don't you remember what he did? That's what they're basically saying. And what do they say? Those people, they're bread to us. Which is what? What's their reference to bread? It's manna. God's provision. God will provide for that. He'll do it. Don't you remember the Red Sea? Don't you remember Egypt? Don't you remember the battles? Don't you remember what God's done? He'll do it. That's what they're saying. And what do the people do? Let's kill those guys. They're going to they're get us killed. And more than that, what do they say? Our children will be a prey. God is not like that. We're going to find out in a minute. Okay, here's your questions. What motivated the bad report? What do you think? Fear. Fear motivated the bad report. They're too big. Let me word that another way. They did not trust God. Everybody's afraid all the time. Have you ever been afraid to tell somebody about Jesus? Have you ever been afraid to tell a joke because you might say the punchline wrong? Have you ever been afraid that you've got people coming over and your food in the oven might get ruined? Fear happens all the time. It's not just that they're afraid. And this is a good reason to be afraid. This is scary. If they don't trust God, that's the problem. What motivated Caleb and Joshua's good report? They trust God. They remember what he did. Now, are they leaning on, we got this? They're not. They're leaning on, he's got this. That's a big difference, isn't it? A big difference. What is God's response? I'm done. 
basically, right? He says to Moses, we'll cut this people off. I will disinherit them. They can't go in the land anymore. I'll strike them with a pestilence. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, this took how many hundreds of years in redemptive history to get to this point? Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years of God's faithfulness leading up to this time where they're going to go in the promised land. The Lord is okay with waiting sometimes. Isn't that interesting? We're on his timeline. He is not on ours. So that's what he says. Let's read on. Numbers 14, we're going to start at verse 13. Here's what it says. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell all the inhabitants of this land. They have heard of you, O Lord, that you are in the midst of the people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land that he swore to give them. That's why he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to your greatness and the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. What a prayer. Isn't that a great prayer? Do you know what he's praying back? At one point, God, Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. Do you remember this? Deuteronomy 34. And God says, I'm going to let my glory pass by you. And when it does, I'll hide you in the cleft of this rock and you'll see my back. Because if you see my face, you'll die. And so the Bible says that the Lord passed by and Moses sees all that's behind him. And as that's happening, the Lord cries out with this cry, the Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love for generations, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, but by no means forgiving the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the generations and generations. And as he does that, the Lord declares his own name is what's happening. So Moses is resting on the authority of God speaking his own name and what God has said as he asks the Lord to have mercy. He's not just making this up. That's important. Verse 20, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. It was fast. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs and that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, they shall not see the land that I swore to give them to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. So what's the judgment? He's going to... The people said, our children will be a prey. They'll be a prey. They're just going to be feasted on by these horrible, evil people. And God says, okay, you don't think I can protect your children? I'll use your children. I won't use you. Except for two. Joshua, who's going to follow Moses in succession and become the leader. And Caleb, who's specifically mentioned here. 
Now, at this time, Caleb is 40 years old. I want you to think for a minute. Caleb is one of the men of faith. He's just avoided being stoned by God's own intervention. And he's looking at the boundary to go into the promised land and everything that he's yearned for, hoped for, seen God do. And the Lord's turning him around to go back where? To the Red Sea again. And wander in the wilderness. And he knows, despite having seen all the things that God has done, the Lord is going to whittle down his own generation that by the word of God, it will be he and his friend Joshua as the only ones who remain. That's a hard, that's a hard burden. Can you imagine trying for all those years while your peers are dying out to train the children so that they're ready? And the, all the people had wanted to stone you. And they're bitter now walking around for 40 years in the wilderness as they just die out. Awful, isn't it? Awful. Let's answer the questions. You got to stay on track here. I'm going to go until 3.30. Moses' intercession is important and effective. It demonstrates how it aligns with God's purposes. What did God say are his purposes in the end? He said it in verse 21. As truly as I live and as, what's his purpose? All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's what he's after. Notice he uses this. He swears by it. What can God swear by? Himself and what he's going to accomplish. It's sure. God's saying this as if it's already done. This is what God's whole intention is. Understand, this is what God is really after, even in sending the people of Israel into the promised land. It's not that they would just live in a place with milk and honey and no peace and be safe. It's that they would be the people who would take his law and his way of life and his word, and they would be the beacon to the whole earth of what it looks like to live righteously before God. And they would be the ones who would begin the process of declaring his glory everywhere, as God is glorified through his mighty acts and his people living his way. That's what they're supposed to do. And God uses that as a fact, as a fact. So Moses starts to intercede, and he's praying God's own name, his own attributes, his own way. Understand, Moses does not change God's mind about what's going to happen. The Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to start over with you. And then Moses prays, and the Lord's like, okay. That's not what's happening here. The Lord is not a man like us where he changes his opinion. The Lord is already, he is rooted in these characteristics, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's not going to do all these things. But we get to see a glimpse of what really effective prayer looks like. Because it's not just, oh Lord, I'm interceding because I want good things. It's the mission. It's, can't you hear Moses' own declaration of the glory of God highlighted? And then what God says about it. God says, my mission is filling the whole earth with my glory. And Moses' prayer is in line with that. That's why God's so quick to say, I pardon them. It's, he's not changing his mind. He is already being who he is, and he's expecting his people to rally into who he is and his character and what he's doing. Okay, moving on. Why does God spare Caleb? He trusted God with his, own, with his whole heart. He's an owner, not a renter. He's an owner, not a renter. By what does God swear? We just answered that. Himself and his mission. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. This is what God's about. 
Here are some big questions that every Christian needs to answer. What is God about? He's about his glory. What is God doing? He's filling the earth with his glory. What should we be doing? Filling the earth with God's glory. This, this is it. This is the answer. What's life about? It's about his glory. It's about filling the earth with his glory. How do we do that? Jesus told us, make disciples of everybody. Baptize them. Change them. Tell them about what God is doing. Fill them with his word. Help them to obey. Disciple them into what he's doing. Because God fills us as his glory that goes out. Ambassadors of Christ who are filled with power in his Holy Spirit to speak his word, to represent him. That's what God's about. And every person who does that accomplishes the fact of stepping everywhere we step. The glory of God moves because he's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you if you're in Christ. Isn't that incredible? And so God's glory is not just building beautiful buildings for God. It's building up a people who look like him, who follow him, who act like him, who pray like him, who love him, who give their lives to him, who do everything for his glory. And as they go forward and do things, God is glorified in the whole earth, and the whole earth is filled with disciples. Isn't that cool? That's what God's doing. How is this significant? It's significant because God is committed to his mission. He's so sure that it will happen, that the earth will be filled with his glory, that he uses it as judgment assurance. That's incredible. Let's skip ahead here to Joshua chapter 14. Let's find out what happens to Joshua. Do you know? Of course you do. Great Bible students. Joshua 14, let's read together verse 6. Joshua 14, verse 6. This is what it says. Uh, After 40 years, the other people have died out. Generation is gone. It's time for the children to go into the promised land. There's only two adults remaining, if you will. It's been 40 years, so there's 40-year-old adults such. But there's only two older people from the last generation remaining, which is Caleb and Joshua. Joshua is the leader. They're going into the promised land. And here's what Caleb says in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the people of Judah, and the tribe of Judah, came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, came and said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, and Kedash Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kedesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again, as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore to me on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since that time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong as the... As Today, as when the day that Moses sent me, my strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord had said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave him Hebron for an inheritance. Praise the Lord. How exciting. 85 years old, and he's going into the land. You know, sometimes we get distracted when we know we've heard from God, we know God's doing things, and it's been six months, 
Where is God? And for 45 years, Caleb has held on to this promise. I'm going to tell you today, if you are 120, if you are 90, if you are 80, 70, 60, if you're 30, if you're 16, whatever you are, the Lord is faithful to his word. He's faithful. Sometimes he takes 45 years to do it. Sometimes he does. I hope he doesn't. But sometimes he does. But God is faithful. And here's Caleb, a guy, you shouldn't be like Caleb. I'm not preaching this to you so that you would be like Caleb. I'm preaching this to you because Caleb trusted God. His heart was turned wholly to God. That's how we all should be. Our hearts turned wholly to God. Because if we trust him, then we can walk in all the things that he's called us to. If we try to just be like other people from the Bible, we're going to fail all the time. But we put our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know this place, Hebron, is the same place where Abraham was walking and God said, this will be your land. This is the same place where Abraham went back and buried Sarah after she died, who had carried the child of promise that God had promised would become descendants like the stars in the sky. This is the same place where Abraham's bones are buried. This is the same place where David would go as the anointed king of Israel and all the mighty men and all the people would rally together and anoint him king. This is the same place where God would send another king who would come from this same tribe, who would come now into a people who are in exile, who are given over to sin, who are lost, who are, don't have the heart to try to come into the promised land because they have no power to do it. And instead, God would send his own son of the same tribe of Judah, a distant descendant cousin of Caleb, who would come in and fight a battle that seemingly was so great that none of us could possibly do it. We looked at sin and all its effects, and we say, Lord, there is no way there's no way we can be right with you. There's no way we can go into the promised land. There's no way we can make our lives okay. There's no way. And God says, trust my son. Because he sent his own son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, who would die as an offering for us to be our Passover lamb that we would know peace with God. And he would walk in total obedience, trusting the Father all the way to the cross, knowing that he would raise again. But just trusting. His perfect obedience, his perfect trust, is what now enables us in Christ Jesus to be able to trust God. And we don't rest on our own strength to say, Lord, I can whip up enough faith, I can do it, I can just remember, and if it's 45 years, I can do it, but if it's 45 years and one day, I'm not sure. Instead, we just say, Lord, I trust you. I see you. You sent your son. You sent your salvation. You've brought me in the promised land. You're the one. You took the cross. You rose again. You're interceding now. You're alive. You're my heart, my hope, my life, my salvation, everything. And Jesus Christ is our salvation. He's it. He's it. Don't be like Caleb. Instead, just trust God. And Caleb, as an 85-year-old guy, goes and fights against three major cities. 85. You know, I, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I just, I wonder how many push-ups he did in his life. You know, I, I, I have a feeling every day he woke up training, training to be ready for that day. Training. Have we lost our heart to train? Have we lost our heart because it's been so long? Are we questioning God's promises and what he's doing in the earth because we don't see it all the time? Do we let scares about coronavirus shoot up? 
and then we don't even know what to pray, so we just don't? What would Moses pray? Moses would pray, Lord, save China. Pray with me right now. Lord, we pray for all the people in China right now with this coronavirus and going around the world. Lord, you are the healer. We ask you, God, that you would heal all the nations. Lord, that they would turn to you and look. Lord, we ask you by demonstration of power that you and your people would give miraculous healings in China right now and abroad to bring the heart of the people back to you. Lord, that it is unquestionable that you are moving, you are saving, you are the one. And that there is no God who can save. There is no science who can save except for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you, though, we ask you, God, for mercy across the world, Lord, that you would give great doctors, Lord, who are seasoned and strong and know you and looking to you, that, Lord, you would give them the intelligence to find good medicine for this. Lord, we ask you, God, that you would cause nations to change their hearts, to change their policies and change their ways, that they would come in line with your word, God. Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus for a harvest of new Christians across the whole world as people see what you are doing. And, Lord, we ask you, God, we ask you that despite these horrible circumstances, we ask you for your comfort, for your peace, for your life, for your glory, God, for your glory, God, to resound in every part of the whole world in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. How can we pray that? That's China. Who cares about them? I saw a guy in the street the other day at Clarkson Road and Baxter, Asian guy holding a sign that says, I'm Chinese. I don't have a virus, I'm human. One guy alone standing there. What's, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? And the feeling is that because that's, oh, that's them. Yeah, they got a billion people, they got people to spare. What's wrong with us? What will God pray? What's the heart of what he's doing? He's filling the earth with his glory. And here's a tr terrible thing coming. Lord, use it for your glory. Lord, bring restoration. Can you feel Moses' heart? Can you feel Caleb's heart? Can you feel Christ's heart? Can you feel it in you because you have the fruit of the Holy Spirit? It's exciting, isn't it? And even if coronavirus steps on our doorstep, we're going to pray the same prayer. And we're going to trust God. Because the temptation instead is, let's pull away. Let's not do anything. Let's, let's wear masks all the time. Let's... I don't know what to do. We need, oh, God, help us. Oh, help us. Help us. We do, God, help us. And let's see his glory. See the difference? It's not just faith. It's trust. It's because we're owners. We're owners in his mission. We're owners in his world. We're joint heirs with Christ. We know him. He's alive. He's risen. He's our king. Does Caleb's age, faith level, or ability determine God's faithfulness to his mission? Here's what Caleb says. Caleb says his sort of doubter's prayer in Joshua 14, 12. He says, it may be that, it may be that the Lord will be with me. I'm going to go take these cities. I'm 85. Give them to me. It may be that the Lord is with me. What? This is Caleb. I, I would expect Caleb to be like, I know it. Stand on the way. It's good as done. And instead, he says, it may be that the Lord will be with me. You know, here's a, he's not perfect. He's not perfect. And the task is daunting. I understand he's full of excitement for it, but he needs God. Is it his faith level, his ability, that makes God do things? It's not. It's the Lord who's going to do things, and we trust him. And it's his heart of trust in what God is doing, that God is the one who supplies. You know, Caleb's own brother, who's younger than him, of course, 
is going to become the first judge of Israel. So I, it's so incredible to me that even the history, after they get in the promised land, things are going great, then they don't quite accomplish the mission. And it's the same family who's going to jump in to try to help things out. It's incredible. That's for another sermon. The point of me saying that is this. We trust God. Are you an owner or a renter in regard to God's mission? Owners embrace his covenant faithfulness and mission as we trust and continue in all that God has called us to do. Renters use God as a commodity. They don't care for the lasting effect. What are you building? Are you building on a rock or are you building on sand? Does it feel strong, but if the flood comes, it washes away? Or are you down into the deep bedrock knowing he is committed to his glory? He's using me. I trust him. I know he'll move me forward in all these things because it's about Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for my friends here today. Thank you, Lord, that you are on the move. Thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than our thoughts. Lord, than what we can think up or conjure up in our heads. Lord, you are the truth. So, Father, we come before you and I ask you, Lord, for a blessing of power on each person. That we would move in the, in the power of your Holy Spirit as we accomplish your mission on the earth. Lord, make us to be great ambassadors for you. That we'd speak the truth, that we trust you in every instance. That our trust for you, God, would prove us as we walk out and we see you do great things on the earth. Lord, use us to be vessels that we would bring you glory. Father, I pray now that the calling of the Father on each person would be evident and real, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the glory of the Son would shine through us as you have put Christ in us and we are in him. And I pray, Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit would accomplish all these things as you cause us to bring glory to your Son according to your word. Be blessed. Know that God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he is the one who wins the battle. Trust him. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday for Paradigm Shift at 630. It's going to be a great time. Please come. Bless you all.